Hi, this is Tony Gwynn. You're listening to KCSB FM 91.9 Santa Barbara. KCSB 91.9 FM, Santa Barbara. Welcome to Radio Causeway. I'm Pav. I'm Tim. This is your weekly showcase, bringing you timely interviews and bridging your world of music. Joining us today on Radio Causeway is independent freelance producer and gaucho alum, Winnie Wong. She has worked on a number of film and commercial projects from LA to the Bay, from coast to coast. She's presently working on Defender, a journalistic storytelling project that brings human stories to the legal justice system, as well as a feature film being shot in Oakland, California. And later, we have the Mullet Strange News, Mullet at the Movies, and Pov's Pick. Stay with us. You're on KCSB FM in Santa Barbara. This is Radio Causeway. I'm Tim. I'm Chris. Winnie Wong is an independent freelance producer based in LA that is currently working with The Defender Project, as well as A Lo-Fi Blues, a feature film about an aging blues musician who believes that his late wife is trapped inside of a song. Winnie Wong, welcome to Radio Causeway. Thanks, guys. Really happy to be here. Winnie, you're currently working with the San Francisco Public Defender's Office project, Defender. Tell us Mm -hmm. more about Defender and your role in it. Yeah, I I was approached by a production company called Even Odd Films. Um, Even Odd is based in San Francisco. And for those who are privy to some of the campaigns that they might have, you know, that they've worked on, um, one of those being, you know, it was a series for Square. And it, you know there were short films that were created for Square that just kind of blew people away about underserved communities, marginalized communities, um, really diverse voices, just kind of like these underdog stories that really, you know, hit close to home um, for immigrants and for people trying to start a small business in America. So I started working with Even Odd as a freelancer where I would come in to either line produce or creative produce on commercial projects or documentary projects. But back in March, um, I get a call from one of the producers who's overseeing the whole Defender project. And she just kind of gave me the spiel and the brief of what the project was about and asked if I wanted to come on board as possibly a creative or a line producer. Um, 
helping to shepherd one of the projects under the umbrella of the whole campaign. So Defender is, it's basically a journalistic, artistic, uh, video and photo project that is aiming to legal or humanize the criminal justice system. Um, so bringing these very humane stories to, and to shed light on some of the injustices that happen within the, you know, within the legal system. So it's just, for me, it's one of those things where it's, it's incredibly timely to be part of a project like this and to be asked to be part of a project like this. You know, I think as a freelance commercial producer, some of the commercial producing, you know, it pays the bills, but it sometimes doesn't feel as fulfilling as some of these documentary projects. So when I was asked about coming on board, you know, for me, it was a no-brainer. Um, even though this was, you know, pre-protests, pre this massive movement happening, you know, I think it's always been important to me to work on something that has a social justice spin to it. Um, and I couldn't have asked for a better opportunity to land on my plate at this time. So on the website, uh, one of the stories uh, looks like uh, it's featured around um, Mario Woods. Can you talk a little bit about who Mario Woods uh, is and uh, how it um, well, is a part of Defender? Yeah, so it, I, maybe I'll backtrack a little bit. Um, with Defender, there are multiple independent producers who come on and own a project. So Mario Woods is, is not a project that I own, but the project that I'm working on, it is the story of a release of Paul Redd, who was released on May 21st of this year after being incarcerated for 44 years with a wrongful conviction. So he basically went in at 19 years old and he's now 63, 64 or so. And so he's been in prison and majority of those years he was in solitary confinement. But he, you know, having gone through all of these challenges within the prison system, you know, having tried to fight every single year, having tried to appeal his case every single year, he never gave up. Um, and it wasn't until, like, there had been you know, multiple public defenders who had tried to help him with his case before. But with the San Francisco Public Defender's Office this year, and maybe these last two years, it feels like the tide is turning in terms of how effective the office has been with cases like this. I think there's a new wave of people who are part of this office that are just so impassioned, so dedicated, really able to identify ways to help these people either get resentenced re or released. So that's the element that I'm working on is this Paul Red release story. Um, Mario Woods is, is a completely separate project. There's also one that's called 111 Taylor. There's, yeah, there's ongoing, there's simultaneous things happening within this umbrella of a, a defender program. But, um, you know, we get, on, we get on weekly calls with all of the different producers who are shepherding these projects, and we kind of give status on where things are and 
where they need to go and how to stay on track and make sure that all of our goals are being met. I think people can underestimate the importance of uh, documentarians, producers, video producers, uh, those who are uh, interested outsiders, essentially, of the legal justice system that want to shine a light on the goings-on, if you will. I mean, right. we've seen cases where, you know, Ruben Hurricane Carter uh, and other play cases have been actually reopened by virtue of some of these storytellers, some of these journalists, some of these uh, these producers and these writers showing interest in exposing these stories to the world and have actually, you know, reopened a lot of these cases and um, actually come about bringing justice to some of these folks that otherwise may not have been uh, lucky enough to receive the, the, the exposure, if you will. So, um, right. Yeah, I'm, as a law and society, former law and society UCSB uh, <laughs> major, like your like yourself, um, yeah, we're really in tune with these 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 things and how powerful they can be. I have a question for you, Winnie. For those who might not be aware, what specifically does a day look like in the life of a creative or line producer, as you as you mentioned? Oh man, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe with respect to this project, if you can shine a light on what, yeah. what does a creative producer do. So a creative producer, you know, the roles and responsibilities are, they can really shift depending on the nature of the project. Um, but a creative producer typically works pretty closely with the director or the directing team and <clears throat> helps to identify what the overall vision is for, like, what is the end goal of this piece that we want to make? What is the message that we're trying to convey or what do we want an audience to walk away with? Um, you know, I think it's, it's pinpointing and defining what that message or what that statement or commentary is. And then, you know, this, this was actually kind of a unique situation where the footage was shot and then I came on board. So typically as a creative producer, if I came on board from day one in pre-production, I would probably be helping to draft the interview questions I would be, you know, responsible for creating a schedule, responsible for choosing what team comes on board to help shoot, edit, you know, execute all of the production. And then, you know, I would work closely with, once the footage is shot, I would work closely with the editor or the editing team and the colorist and the sound mixer to fine tune what the assembly and the story actually is. So um, in this case, everything happened really fast. So, you know, I, I wasn't brought on until after the footage was shot. So the directing team actually got notice, I think a couple of days before they were going to go film this. And, you know, you're, we're talking about not having a ton of time for appearance releases, location releases, like all of the paperwork and the logistics that go into preparing a shoot, there actually wasn't a lot of time for that. So the directing team, Aaron and Tim, they were brought on to go and capture the footage of this one day of Paul coming out of prison, meeting his family and friends in the parking lot, having that reunion, going to order breakfast for the first time in 44 years, making choices of like, what kind of eggs do you want? Like, I mean, these are nuances that you don't really think about, but with, when somebody comes out of prison after 44 years of not having choices, and it, it's just, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it, you know, because it's just, these are things, these are things that we all take for granted. But for somebody like Paul, I mean, his story is just so incredible because 
you see him on the screen and he is just jovial and kind and sweet and funny and positive. And he has this energy and dynamic to him that you're just like, what the f Like, how did this guy go through all of what he's gone through and, and just had such a hard time, but he comes out of it with this incredible personality. Like you would never be able to tell that he's gone through what he's gone through. And it's, it's just, I, I think what is incredible about this project is that, you know, it's really a day in the life of, we're not trying to jam melodramatic, you know, things in there to make you feel a certain way. We just, we want you to be able to watch this and feel like you are there with him, understanding the gravity of the situation and, you know, his, his, his resilience, really, you know, it's just that resilience is what I think helped him get out. You know, we can chalk it up to people that supported him with the public defender's office and they did a lot of work to get him out, but it also took his resilience and his persistence to say, hey, I deserve to be out. I'm innocent. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do everything that I can to prove to you that I deserve to be out. It's you incredible. Know, it, it's incredible. I mean, most people, it's like, if I were in that situation, I don't know if I would be that fighter, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's an inspiration just to see, to see that, but it's also a wake up call. And I think it's, it's, it's supposed to shock you. It's supposed to make you feel like there is something legitimately wrong with the system that's putting people behind bars who shouldn't absolutely should not be. And I think we're trying to tell stories that make people feel that way. Well, if you're just tuning in, Winnie Wong is an independent freelance producer based in LA that is currently working with The Defender Project, as well as A Lo-Fi Blues, a feature film about an aging blues musician who believes that his late wife is trapped inside of a song. Right now, we've got a song called Filmez-moi from Alice et moi. You're on Radio Causeway. Welcome back to Radio Causeway. I'm Tim. I'm Chris. Just heard a track from Alice et moi, Fiume moi, the song. Winnie Wong is an independent freelance producer based in LA that is currently working with the Defender Project, as well as a lo-fi blues, a feature film about an aging blues musician who believes that his late wife is trapped inside of a song. So I wanted to start this part of the, of the show or interview just talking about a lo-fi blues, the, the, the feature film that, that you're uh, producing and um, the, this stuff that I've seen about it looks incredible. So can you tell us a little bit about a little bit about it? Yeah, I mean, it's this project, this feature film is for music nerds, like lo-fi analog lovers, crate, you know, crate diggers. Um, but what, how, how it came about is 
The writer-director is based in Oakland. His name is Ed Natiri. Um, he is a writer who works for the Warriors, but he's also this incredible photographer. Um, and he, he's originally from New York, but I met him through my old coworker, Melinda James, when Melinda and I worked at Pandora Radio making documentary content about artists. So I met Ed through Melinda and the three of us just, you know, they got along great. They were like, they're like best friends. But when the three of us would hang out, we just, I think on a creative level, like really clicked. And we actually made a short film called Snow Mountain um, that addressed, a, it was basically a story about this little boy who goes camping for the first time, but you find out that, you know, it's his first day on the street and he's homeless with his mom. Mm. And so we made that short film back in, I think it was 2016 or 2017. And from there, I just, you know, I told Ed, if you have a feature that you're working on, if you have an idea for something that you really want to make, know that I would love to produce with you. And so, you know, we all stayed in touch and we're very close friends, but, you know, you don't really hear, I don't know if you really hear these stories about like, for him, this would be his first feature. For me, this would be my first uh, feature as a lead producer. And then for Melinda, this would be her first feature as a cinematographer. Wow. So you have these three first timers who are helming a project like this. And it's not just a, it's not that straightforward of a project. It's, it's actually, it can be kind of complex. Um, and, but yeah, it's, it's basically this story about Leonard Thompson, who is uh, a jazz musician who, you know, composed the song called Love is to Yes, and it was a hit like decades ago, but he kind of went into hiding after making that hit track. And, you know, then he lost his wife, um, she had cancer, and he kind of became this hermit. So nobody really heard from him, nobody knew that he was still in Oakland um, until he loses this record that he thinks his wife is trapped in and he blames it on this group of lo-fi producers all in Oakland. These like really lo-fi, you know, community artists who are just like music producers, rappers, um, designers, just like super creative people. Um, and, and that group of people is actually inspired by a real collective in Oakland and it's called Smart Bomb. So Smart Bomb, um, it, yeah, it, it's just, it consists of so many incredible people that you may or may have never heard of, but they're all just constantly creating and constantly pushing boundaries and doing dope and just putting all of their work out there um, and making a statement, you know, that is kind of like, it's like bringing lo-fi back, you know, and, and just making sure that people are able to appreciate the craft that goes into making music and the craft that goes into designing streetwear or designing clothing and just, it's, it's a whole lifestyle. Um, so the film is inspired by the Oakland scene, but also inspired by Ed's notions of, you know, sampling and what sampling does for people, what it does to old art, you know, how it can breathe new life into art um, and how, it can be a very divisive thing. 
between generations and between different you know communities how people think about it so yeah it, it's it's a film that speaks to a lot of things but we're currently in development which means we're currently still revisiting the script ed's still rewriting it um i think we're on draft 8.6 right now but we're oh. yeah i, I mean <laughs> it could be it could be like draft 35 you know in in the next few months like it, he's constantly rewriting but he's part of um sf film he's a resident through sf film and last year he was a recipient for the rain foundation grant for screenwriting so what we're trying to do is we're trying to apply to different labs and programs to help us further develop the script to get it to a place where it is just undeniable material and no matter who we re who reads the script no matter who we pitch it to whether that's collaborators that we want to work with or talent that we want to bring on or investors who could be our financiers you know I, we want the material to be as strong as possible so that when you read it you have a very clear vision of what this world is and why this film should exist in the world okay so the idea is to create the script that's the main thing and then from there all other things flow from that right? yeah i mean your script is your your material you know and and you know there's there's an argument that could be made with a lot of films that are out there that have done really well that have really scripts or you know you read the script and you're like what the what is this about or whose perspective is this or there's plenty of those scripts around too. Um, but I think with us, because this is our first feature, because we are fairly new to this industry and to narrative filmmaking, you know, us coming from a photojournalistic and documentary background, narrative storytelling is a new um, format for us. And so we just, we're trying to do our best to prepare ourselves and to prepare the material so that, you know, not only does it resonate with a lo-fi community, you know, people that are no-brainer is going to love this movie, but we want to connect to people because of its universal themes too. So the fact that, yes, it's a story based in Oakland, it's this microcosm of community, um, there are definitely themes of love and loss and grief and music and how we connect with other people that that really shine through in the story so yeah just identifying how do we want to speak to our audience and you know what are we trying to achieve with this um that's what we're that's what we're like fine-tuning and honing in on so I'm going to play a snippet of one of the uh, uh, tracks from, from the movie and we can talk uh, while it's playing. Um, it's Yana, uh, Pain is the Greatest Teacher. But I also wanted to uh, talk to you about uh, just the overall like, feel of the, of the film. I've seen the, the images from, from the film or some of them that you've shared with us. It's just so rich, and like you see the description, the tones are compared to one of my all-time personal favorite films, Three Colors Blue, uh, High Fidelity, Whiplash, Dope, and Beasts of the Southern Wild. Um, can you talk about how those influenced the piecing together the, the tone of the film? 
Yeah, I mean, just for example, with um, with Blue, you know, for those who haven't seen Blue, the, the film touches on grief and to lose somebody. Like, what happens after you lose somebody? And everyone's experience can be so different, right? But with Blue, it's there's just this sense of magical realism and this just heavy sense of loss and discovery that happens that really resonated with Ed and with Melinda and myself. Um, and it's one of Ed's favorite films, so it was kind of a, like he, he, yeah, the, the themes of grief and loss definitely resonate from that. Um, with High Fidelity, the, the TV show that's on Hulu, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it does a really great job taking this record store and making it kind of a home base for this group of friends, you know, and it's almost like with, with the lo-fi blues, you know, there is an element of a record store that Red is running and that this collective of people kind of come to and it's a gathering place. And I think what we have probably learned about Oakland is that, you know, it's a city that's heavily gentrifying and a lot of these community spaces are at risk. But when you really think about what a community space is, it's not just the location, it's the people. It's the people that build it. It's the people that have the intentions for what they want to create with it. And with gentrification, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's part of gentrification is losing these community spaces. Like that is something that happens all the time. And in a lo-fi blues, that is, that is a subject that we touch on is this record store, just the potential loss of this place and what that means to these people. Um, but also understanding that it's your community that is everything, you know, like you can find another space, you can, meet somewhere else. You can create a new place to replace what once was, but it doesn't, it doesn't lessen the sting either. Like when you walk around Oakland and let's say this year versus five years ago, I'm sure you would come back and say, wow, like this looks different. Some of your favorite record stores or restaurants or coffee shops or bookstores or thrift stores, like just staying afloat is a, it's really hard. Um, As an Oakland resident, yeah, I can definitely speak to that. It's ever changing. Been here for almost ten years now, and it looks very right. different than it did when I moved in. Yeah, and and maybe it's unique to big cities, but I think Oakland, I think Oakland and San Francisco, it definitely hits it hits close to home, and it is very obvious how much it's changed. Um, so High Fidelity was a great reference point for the record store and having that community come together in that place. Also just like nerding out on music and, you know, throwing out obscure artists and like references and having those inside jokes and it, it, that stuff is fun, you know, and it's, it's not done in a way that's pretentious. I think that sometimes happens with music is you can get really like highbrow and nobody knows what you're talking about. But I think with the lo-fi blues, it's like, it's almost educational. Like this group of, this collective of artists want you to be in on the secret. And 
and there, you know, there's an element of it where this uh, collective hosts a podcast called uh, Light Beings, and they introduce old records and old tracks, obscure things to their audiences. So, yeah, it's yeah, a magical realism, the grief, loss, love, you know, community. I think all of these films that are serving as references speak to that in oh, some in some way. Speaking my language, it sounds incredible. I can't wait for it to be released and to, to actually see it. If you're just tuning in, Winnie Wong is an independent freelance producer based in LA that is currently working with The Defender Project, as well as A Lo-Fi Blues, a feature film about an aging blues musician who believes that his late wife is trapped inside of a song. Winnie, where can people find out more about all of the great work that you're doing? Um, yeah, so Defender has a website. Uh, I believe it is wearedefender.com. Um, and then you can check out more about what the, you know, what that, what that um, initiative is and where it's coming from and the legacy of Jeff Adachi, who was formerly a San Francisco public defender. Um, and he passed away, but the legacy of, of, of his work with the community as a public defender really inspired the, the you know, the program itself. Um, and then with a lo-fi blues, you know, we're working, we have a pitch deck that we've been sharing mostly privately, um, but we are working on a website. So at some point we will have a site with the music, with the pitch deck and a lookbook and all of the information about what's going on in terms of the development. You'll be able to find that and more at radiocauseway.org. Winnie, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So much fun. We've got a song queued up from Glim Spanky. TV show. You're on Radio Causeway. Hey, this is Alex from Swim Party, and you're listening to Radio Causeway with Pav and Tim on KCSB 91.9 FM, Santa Barbara. <laughs> Welcome back to Radio Causeway. I'm Tim. I'm Chris. Just heard a track from Glim Spanky's 2018 release, Looking for the Magic, track TV show. It is time for the Mullet Strange News. Mullet Strange News time. Uh, Chris, you want to get us started? Sure. Back in 2004, Kellogg, the cereal maker, held a, a fan poll about what people would like to see as a new promotional flavor of Chex cereal that they produced. No kidding! On, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One was chocolate. You know, makes sense, right? Chocolate Chex, which I think even exists now to this day. Another one was green onion flavor. <gasps> Hot pot of coffee! <laughs> green onion? Are you kidding? And so, of course, they didn't expect anyone to actually vote for it. Yet, in the end, it ended up winning. So, uh, checks. Yes! Yes! <laughs> yes! 
yes, awesome. For years, sex was just like brushing it under the rug. Yeah, okay. But every year, the fans would say, hey, what's up with this green onion sex? We want our onion flavored cereal. Fascinating. <laughs> right? So, yeah, I mean, so finally, in 2020, 16 years later, Korean. Uh, the checks, of course, is going to make good on their uh, Korean market onion flavored checks, and it's going to be coming out soon. I can't wait. I don't know. I know you, Tim, are already on the, the pre order list, right? Holy cow! Almost oh, definitely. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just uh, imagine biting into a nice onion flavored checks and just starting your day off with a robust breath of green onion. Mm. <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, I could definitely see it though as a snack, like like part of it, like trail mix or something. That would be delightful. Starting your day off with with some onion uh, onion breath, though, not so much. Onion and milk, just, mm, just <laughs> two of the best flavors ever. But yeah, the most you know, unpleasant like, situation, Captain. Ooh. <laughs> so yeah, uh, th- thought that was pretty interesting. And now for something completely different. All right. So, Chris, are you looking for ways to liven up your Zoom meetings? Always. Well, Mambo the donkey is ready for you. Yes. People can hire the eight-year-old miniature donkey to join their virtual meetings. (coughs) Peace and Peas Farm in North Carolina offers five different animals to crash your Zoom calls. (coughs) Excellent. Excellent. You know, uh, apparently both companies and teachers are reaching out to hire Mambo for their meetings. You know, right? <laughs> Sweet. Sign me up. <laughs> While Mambo is described <laughs> as a pesky little brother who loves the limelight, Peace and Peas has a whole barnyard of animals ready for virtual visits. Their horses, stylist Gray Eddie, or his friends, Heron or Zeus. If you're looking for more chatter, they offer ducks and chickens as well. <laughs> what I want to know is, can I get Mambo to physically show up in my like my house on my actual Zoom? Like he just kind of creeps up out of frame. He's like pokes his head in there and then sort of disappears. You know? Sounds an awful lot like a, fi- a, a prior uh, strange news story that we shared a couple weeks ago <laughs> gone wrong. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> holy Man, let's do it. cow! Yeah, so the website has a calendar to book the day and time of your virtual meeting. You can send the meeting link. Best part is you get a chance not only to choose the animal, but their display name. Uh, oh, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what could go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the hammer of Thor. Uh, you might want to think twice about uh, <laughs> about those names. With, by the uh, beard of Zeus. <laughs> Uh, was it a scratch or a pick? It was a scratch. I gotta go. No, no pick. Well, look at what we have here. Pav's pick. It's Pav's pick time. This is where Pav has curated some songs and he's shared one this week for us. It's brand new music from U.S. Girls. The track, Four American Dollars. You're on Radio Causeway.
Hi, this is Chuck from Freelance Wales, and you are listening to Radio Causeway on KCSB 91.9 FM, Santa Barbara. Welcome back to Radio Causeway. I'm Tim. I'm Chris. Just heard Pav's pick of the week from U.S. Girls with their new song, Four American Dollars. Time for Mullet at the Movies, where Chris and I take a look at a movie we've been checking out during quarantine and chat about it with y'all. Chris, what are we doing this week? Well, on this week's edition of Mullet at the Movies, Tim, we're taking a look at 2016 adventure fantasy film written and directed by Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, starring Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe, Swiss Army Man. Now, Rotten Tomatoes critical consensus says of the film, Quote, disarmingly odd and thoroughly well acted, Swiss Army Man offers adventurous viewers an experience as rewarding as it is impossible to categorize, end quote. Uh, What were your thoughts on the film, Tim? Well, I just remember when you had uh, texted me that you were going to watch the film and I knew nothing of it. Um, And I I wish I had the text message in front of me as his poor radio. But uh, do you recall how you described it to me? Yeah, I think I basically sold it to you as there's a movie that starts with a guy stuck on a desert island. The corpse of Harry Potter washes up. He rides him like a jet ski as he farts across the water and they become friends. And it's a whimsical tale of adventure and friendship and love and uh, overcoming depression or something to that effect. And uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, and, I, and I laughed and said, okay, yeah, yeah but what do, what do you, uh, what's it really about? I, that, there's no way that that movie could exist. There's no way that that's a real thing. And you're like, no, really? I'm like, yeah, 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 for real though. You're like, no, really? And so, yeah, I've watched, turn it on. This is the most ludicrous thing I've ever seen. I can't imagine anyone ever pitching this movie and, and somehow it being created, someone paid money to produce the film, uh, but watching the movie, was uh was an adventure and by the end of it i was so like invested and touched by the movie and the performances uh it was i it's it's uh it's a special film for sure absolutely you nailed it i mean it's one of those movies that starts off so ludicrously like i said literally it begins with paul dano he's stranded on a desert island the corpse of daniel radcliffe who plays harry potter in the film washes up he realizes oh the man's dead you know so he pushes him back into the water and the corpse is flatulent and starts kind of motorboating away under the power of his own farts and paul dano realizes wait a second maybe i could do something with this and right before the credits roll literally it's just him on the open water riding this corpse like a jet ski it's the most insane thing ever one of my favorite openings of any movie and then as you mentioned it gets more and more uh not only weird but strangely touching and uh really uh it's a great film i know a number of people who struggled with depression thought this was a really fantastic film that really helped them to cope and it's uh it touches a nerve on a really uh fundamental level but in the strangest of ways with the weirdest packages uh really love this film most definitely the a24 website uh 
describes it as a wholly original, enormously entertaining, and deeply heartfelt look at what it means to be human. Swiss Army Man is the feature film debut of acclaimed music video directors Daniel uh, Schneider and Daniel Kwong, collectively known as Daniels, and responsible for the beloved Turn Down For What video, among many others. Bursting with limitless creativity in both form and content, Swiss Army Man goes from the absurd to the emotional to the whimsical to the profound and back again. Uh, with Hank, played by Paul Dano, is stranded on a deserted island, having given up all hope of ever making it home again. But one day, everything changes when a corpse named Manny, played by Daniel Radcliffe, washes up on shore. The two become fast friends and ultimately go on an epic adventure that will bring Hank back to the woman of his dreams. It just does so many things so differently or things that most movies would never do. I mean, one just small example is this is a film that was literally shot in 22 days. That's three weeks. That's unheard of as far as productions go, like in and out. A second, you mentioned them being the uh, the directors of Turn Down For What by DJ Snake and Little John. The music, I don't know if you knew this, but the music was actually recorded before the film was even made. So there's little mo uh, montages where the like a chorus is going on and bum, 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 bum. Yeah. And, the, and the, the, the characters stop to sort of like mouth these things to you and they go along with the beat. So they actually played the music while the film was being shot, which is never done. Usually all the music is added to fit the vibe of the film, to fit the cadence of the way you edit the film. So it's really clear they brought that uh, skill set from music video direction into this film. And it makes it a, so such a unique experience in addition to all the other uh just completely uh, fantastic elements that they, they've, they've uh, put into this movie. Amazing. Go check it out. Definitely, definitely. You can find uh, our scores for this film and our other quarantine mullet, uh, mullet at the movies pick at radiocauseway.org. <laughs> Alright, so that was Mullet the Movies, and there you got a song queued up from Shannon and the Clams. The track is The Boy off their 2018 release, Onion. You're on Radio Causeway. This is Matt Motel from the CSC Funk Band. You're listening to Radio Causeway with Pav and Tim on KCSB 91.9 Santa Barbara. Welcome back to Radio Causeway. I'm Tim. I'm Chris. Just heard a track from Shannon and the Clams, The Boy, off their 2018 release, Onion. Special thanks to independent freelance producer Winnie Wong for speaking with us today. Our theme music was produced by Forrest Seguin. You can find us at radiocausway.org and kcsb.org. We'll see you next time where we will be speaking with Dr. Emily Jacobs on her work on the Collaborative Women's Health Project. 
Radio Causeway is the presentation of KCSB Public Affairs. The opinions expressed were those of the individual speakers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of KCSB, the associated students, or the regents of the University of California. If you have a comment or wish to respond, please address correspondence to KCSB University Center, Room 3185A, University of California, Santa Barbara, California, 93106. This is KCSB. 91.9 FM, Santa Barbara.